We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have AJ Stick on the podcast today. He is the founding principal of the Greater Dayton School which you're going to hear more about throughout this podcast. And before that, he was seven years as a principal in Chicago Public Schools, where he drove strong outcomes for teachers and students. And under his leadership, Rufus M. Hitch Elementary achieved the district's highest school quality rating for five consecutive years from 2014 to 2019. Ultimately, uh, AJ is motivated by the opportunity to impact kids and change the trajectory of their academic careers. He believes his leadership should be grounded decency, humility, and high standards, and he strives to achieve this when serving his students, school, and community. AJ and his wife, Kendra, have three kids and a rescue dog, and in his free time, he enjoys spending time with family, running, reading, and cheering on the Green Bay Packers. AJ, welcome to Transformative Principles. So excited to have you. Thanks, Jethro. Good to be here. I am really excited to talk about your your school that you are the founding principal of that isn't even open yet. And that's part of what makes it so exciting is that there's so much to be learned and to do before you get there. 
But before we even get there, um, I want to start by talking about the idea that the Greater Dayton School is going to spend $30,000 per student on their education because yep. that is an astronomical number and sounds crazy. How in the world are you going to make that happen? And tell us what the Greater Dayton School is. Yeah, it, it is an astronomical number and it's about two to three times the national average. And it, and if, if you look at those dollars in, in Dayton, Ohio, they go a very long way. It's like fifty to $60,000 in New York City money. It, it's even more than it seems at 30000 When I first heard about it, I thought it was a joke. I got a job ad to my inbox and that number was just crazy. I mean, over the course of pre-K through eighth grade, you're talking over a quarter million dollars per student that's invested. That type of money is just not available in, in public education. I kind of had to see for myself because I didn't, I didn't trust it, frankly. <laughs> I was like, what, what is this? Who has the resources to do this? But there is a, a gentleman in Dayton, Ohio. He's the, most recently the, the philanthropist of the year in the city. His name's Larry Connor. And he is the CEO of a real estate company called the Connor Group. And long story short, the, the gentleman has done incredibly well for himself in, in business and has accumulated wealth and resources over decades in, in corporate America. And this is his way of giving back. Um, the numbers are real. And we're not doing it with uh, public money. We, we may accept Ohio does have a, a small stipend around $4,500 that they that some students are able to apply to the school. Even if you, you count that, that's still $25,000 annually per student that we're, we're contributing. It's a crazy amount of money. It's awesome that Larry Connor has has made money and is and is giving back to his community. That kind of stuff is is amazing. And really the target demographic of student is under-resourced students that you want to bring into the school. So kids who would never have access to this kind of education because there are families who can send their kids to private schools for 30,000 a year, but you're not asking anything from the families. It's going to be free for the families, just like public schools free already. Is that right? Yeah, that's largely accurate. We'll probably ask for a nominal fee between 50 to $150. And, and that's mostly to for the parents. So they have some skin in the game, it, it, but just a little bit. It's basically a free education. And that's what the focus of, of all his philanthropy is, but especially the school, which is a large chunk of the, the philanthropic portfolio. Yeah. And so um, I want to talk about the the model that you're going to use the of curriculum and how you're going to teach kids and the concept of, of how you're going to do that. And to be clear, before we go that, we should probably illustrate first that the $30,000 isn't just for regular classroom stuff, but there's going to be other facilities and things at the school as well. Can you talk about the other ways that you're going to support kids with that funding? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, let me frame this through the the conversation, the the point I was making a little bit earlier where, you know, I I talked about the job ad. When I first got this job ad, yeah, I talked about the money that we're going to invest in the kids, but it also talked about a holistic focus to education. And that word gets tossed around. They were a bit more specific. 
that that even before they hired me, the Connor Group had gotten together an advisory board of superintendents and people that were super, super smart in the education space. And they basically had a mastermind group and they said, really, if we're going to do school, if we're going to just blow up the system and we're going to, we're going to create a learning environment that is going to impact kids in the long term. What are the things we're going to teach? Is it going to be just like a traditional school where you have math, reading, writing, social studies, and art and music, or is there going to be something different? And what that that mastermind group came up with is is called the age 27 goals. And those goals are uh, very simple. One, first and foremost, kids are successful by their own definition. No one can really tell you that. You kind of have to make that up on your own. Two is being physically and mentally healthy. Three is living a life of character integrity. And four is established in a career, not a job, a career. And then the fifth is being financially independent. So as you can see, those are not reading, writing, math. Now, do you need basic math and and basic literacy and, and verbal communication skills to succeed in those five things? Yeah, you do. But the framework for, for the curriculum are, are those five items that I just discussed, the age 27 goals. If you're designing a curriculum around that, there are some things that go hand in hand. And and we we call those things in, in some circles, education circles, you hear this, this word, wraparound services. And so in addition to an academic curriculum that is, is geared around those age 27 goals for kids, there's a clinic that's attached to the first floor of our building. It's embedded in the school culture, or it will be, and we'll have mental health services. We'll have a chef that cooks daily healthy nutritional meals for kids. We'll have pediatricians, optometrists, dentists. So really the things in some schools that, that really, you know, that really, that really help just be a, make help a kid have a good life, you know, not just uh, the traditional academics. One thing I love about that is this idea of age 27 goals that by the age of 27, these are the things that are going to need to happen, which if that's going to be your goal, you're going to have to going to have to measure that, which means you're going to have to stay in touch with kids until they become at least 27. Yeah. That furthers the idea of these wraparound services that it's not just that this is going to be a, you know, a school to go to, but it's going to be a school that you are a part of even after you've moved on to high school and to college and are in an actual career. I really like that that idea of connecting with them. As I was developing a magnet school in Fairbanks, Alaska a couple of years ago, we were focusing on, on that piece of how do we stay connected with these kids after they have already graduated from the school so that we can see how mm-hmm. our how our work is impacting them even into their life. Uh, so what are the the plans that you have in place to stay connected with them? And I know like school's not open yet, so all these things could change, but what are you thinking about that question? The first thing you have to do is you have to backward map these goals. So if a kid is going to be, I'm just going to use one of the age 27 goals financially independent to illustrate what I mean by this. 
But if you're going to say, okay, we want all of our alumni by age 27, which is the age that the brain is you know, generally fully developed, that they're going to be financially independent. What do they need to do by age 23? Well, they need to have income that's greater than their expenses. They need to not have astronomical levels of debt that puts them in this this debt cycle for the rest of their life. What do they need to to do by age 18? Okay, they need to not get these high yield credit card that, that can throw a lot of college students off track financially. What do they need to do at age 16? Well, maybe they need to have their first job. What we've done, and this work has has largely been um, developed, at least the framework for it, is we we backwards map these age 27 goals. So we have an idea of exactly what we're going to track for students when we're doing questionnaires with them once they leave our school, because we're a pre-K through eighth grade. So once they leave our school and go off to high school, they'll visit us in ninth grade and we'll do these questionnaires, do a physical. And, And then I think the other part of staying connected with our alumni is having a research partner. That's another thing we've discussed is we, we want the, the work to be validated by an independent source, because it's always one thing when you, have these numbers and you have these assessments and you say, yeah, all of our kids did X, Y, and Z. But if you have an independent research partner that is um, doing some of the the validity work on on the school model, that that certainly gives it a lot more credibility. And and, and at the end of the day, that's that's what we're trying to do. We're building a revolutionary school model. And to do that, you need to, of course, monitor the kids and make sure they're achieving the, the goals of the school. But also have someone who's an objective eye looking at the the process and the outcomes. It's about more than than just you being good in your own eyes. It's about you really doing right by these kids because you're you're investing in them in what I believe is the most important time of their lives when they are developing an immense amount from pre-K to eighth grade. Um, and you're going to establish a lot of things yeah. with them. Um, so really the commitment to the kids extends beyond just the time they're at your school, which is often how we think about education, that once they leave our school, then you know we pass them on to the next people. They're not really part of what we do. In fact, we have you know rules and policies and procedures that say that kids aren't allowed to come back to a school that they were in before because they can be a disruption. And unfortunately, I think those kinds of rules are made uh, because kids have been disruptions, but really you're taking a different approach where they'll not only be welcome back, but you need them to come back so you can continue to learn about what has worked and what hasn't worked. As that time goes, though, you're going to see things that you'll need to change throughout the process, um, what is that change management going to look like as a part of the school? You know, that's a great question. And we've thought about it. We've had some discussions. And, you know, the the, the benefit of what, what we're doing is we're really looking at research. We have some great, great advisors in the education world. But we also have educa- uh, advisors from um, from the business world. And so, I mean, Larry Connor is, a, he's our founder and he's been an incredibly successful entrepreneur. 
And, and he's told me time and again, he said, you know, if this school looks like it does right now, you know, if it looks like this in one year, we have a problem because you will have to adapt and you will have to change. Now, at this point, I'm a one man show. I'm, I'm, I'm literally in a, in a real estate office between a hedge fund and a re, you know, retail or a sales trainer. So what that change management will look like at this point, it's hard to say, but I can tell you um, it will look, it will, it's, it's a part of our DNA because of, because of, you know, who we are and who our founders are, um, you know, just doing what's right and what's best for kids is, is first and foremost in our, in our conversations. Well, and what's interesting is that a lot of schools say that doing what's right for kids is, is first and foremost, but they, that can mean so many different things in in so many different ways. And so how are you going to continue that without the, uh, the infringement of regular education, um, bad habits that for through no fault of our own, it's just part of the system we're in. How are you going to keep those bad habits from creeping into the school? I'll share with you just a quick anecdote where I had to eat some humble pie. So, you know, I'm an education person. I have a master's degree from Harvard. I've been Chicago public school principal, had a lot of success and for almost seven years. And I came in thinking, this is going to be, this is going to be simple. You do X, Y, and Z program. These programs are research-based. You run these interventions for kids and you're going to get these outcomes. These have, you know, great efficacy here. And this is great for kids. And so I came in and I kind of presented this, this initial plan. And, and the feedback I got was, what are you doing? Like, are you just trying to recreate what's, what's been done and what has proven not to work? on a system level. And, and, and hearing that from our advisors and from our CEO, it, it, it was a gut check where this is an opportunity because we're a private school. We don't have the, the regulation where you need to teach math for 60 minutes and you need to teach reading for 60 minutes and you have to use this scripted curriculum and that scripted curriculum. We don't have any of that. I've had to eat lots of humble pie, in fact, because for for me to present, because you know, I I work with the board, I have advisors, and for me to present something that is just the status quo simply does not cut it. The ideas that we're we're coming up with in terms of our curriculum framework, I know you, you Jethro and I, you you and I talked about maybe we'll have a conversation in a year, but where I can share more of the details around curriculum, but it's very out of the box. It is not a uh, factory model of schooling in any form or fashion. It's almost frightening to think like, all right, I've been doing things for seven years and now I have to completely do it differently. It's very frightening, but very exciting as well, because I think the the outcomes are are aligned to our, our 27 goals for the kids. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. 
The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations. If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people, but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their their own personal identity, replicated over and over and over and over. My research is already flawed ethically. Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help. What I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time um, and across space in the United States. Um, basically, I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers, and we give them handbooks to say, hey, this is what you should be doing. What I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? To what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at cybertraps.com slash seven. As a principal who has done things very differently in schools that I've taken over, where we carved out just a portion of the day for kids to work on passion projects that was not tied to any content area. And the pushback we got from that was great to be sure. But also the success that we saw from kids through that was words just can't describe it. And so I, I think what you'll definitely see is there are some great opportunities for you to do some different things that really do reach those age 27 goals, but have nothing to do with what we typically do in schools. What kind of person is going to be successful working there? Because with what you're saying, if you just take a regular educator, you had to eat some humble pie, but you also had to recognize that the things that you have built your success on might not work in this situation, might not be what people want in this situation. How do you find the right kind of people who are going to work well in in the system that you're trying to create? 
as you know, Jethro, we're we're currently hiring our founding cohort of teachers, and we've had these discussions in great depth because we know, and and I, I assume people that are listening to this are are going to know that it just it starts and ends with teachers. I mean, having the right people in front of the kids. There's a dollar value to it. You look at some of the research out there and having a teacher that's one standard deviation above the mean is worth $40,000. Every year, a kid has that, that quality of teacher. We're looking for the Navy SEAL of teachers, but to your point, they need to have flexibility of mind because the traditional school model where you have... 20 to 30 kids in your class and you deliver a mini lesson to all of them and you give a worksheet or even on the more progressive side, you give a, a project or a rubric that kids you know, self-assess and then they do an exit ticket at the end. You know, that sort of factory model of schooling that won't work in, in what we're creating. The folks that, that I, I think will be successful here will be people um, who have experience with kids that are from diverse backgrounds, that are from under-resourced backgrounds, because you have to have a witness to understand the challenges that a lot of these kids are facing. That's a big factor in what we're hiring, but also just that flexibility of mind to, to do things differently and say, hey, you know what, whatever I've done, whether it's a traditional or progressive model of schooling, I've had success. But I also recognize that there's other ways to educate that are as good and maybe better than what I've been doing. And I'm open to that. I think if somebody has those qualities, they can be very successful. And it's something I've had to <laughs> work through myself. So I, under- I understand. I can empathize. And hopefully I can talk, coach the teachers through that learning because it's uh, something I've been through. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and having a cohort of teachers already to start with the design of it will be really beneficial as well. I think maybe um, somebody beneficial that'd be good for you to talk to is Sonia Risley, who uh, founded the Design 39 campus in Poway, California. Have you heard of that school? No. Can you tell me a little bit about it? It's a public school in uh, in San Diego County, California, and they do a lot of things differently. And they're really focused on design thinking and um, having the students involved in this process as well. And so I think that she, just in talking to her about her experiences in, in developing that and trying to keep the the traditional stuff, keep it from, from being the first answer. Mm-hmm. I, I heard somewhere that somebody talked about... Whenever you're trying to decide where to go, uh, nobody ever knows what the right answer is. And so the smart thing to do is to say, let's go to McDonald's because everybody's going to say, no, I don't want to go to McDonald's. <laughs> and then they'll come up with better ideas. And so figuring out a way to like to have the first idea out there so that you can get past it instead of being what I feel like we do often in regular education is we have the first idea out there or the most research-based idea out there. And then we take it, even though that's not really what's best for the kids that are in front of us. And we don't have the courage or the intestinal fortitude to say, we're not going to do that because we recognize that it doesn't work for our kids. And there are some things that do work for every kid, no matter what, but there are other things that they don't do the things we would want them to yeah. do, but we still do them anyway, because we don't have a better answer for that. I, I think about it just in terms of 
habits. I think that's why when I came here, I thought, oh, great. I got this great model in my head based on what I know works in, in schools. And it was largely a habit of, of mine that I had developed over you know, 13 years in, in public school education. Like you said, Jethro, there's a lot of good things in, in traditional schools and traditional public schools, and we don't want to throw that out. But there's also a lot of things that, that, that don't work. And we have to really look at, all right, what are the outcomes we want for kids? And then how do we redesign schooling to meet those outcomes? And it's, um, yeah, big task. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I really appreciate that idea of, of how you phrase that just now that you you have to look at the outcomes you want and then redesign schools to meet those outcomes. Um, and and the outcomes that you're you're looking for with the age 27 goals um, really are different than what we typically do in schools. And so it it's important to to recognize that from the outset that for someone to be, I just want to unpack this a little bit, someone to be successful by their own definition, that opens up everything that is possible out there. And some kids will never believe that they are successful, even if by every other measure, they are successful. I shouldn't say some kids, I should say some adults, because we're talking about adults with that being the end goal. Some people can, can be very happy, but unfulfilled are very successful, but unfulfilled. And therefore they don't ever feel like they are successful, but empowering um, kids to come up with their own definition of what success is, is really the ultimate um, compliment to them and their ability. If you want to be able to say that when they're 27, that they're successful by their own definition, you have to start saying that when they are three and four years old, that they get to define what success looks like. And that I think is just so powerful. And if those really are the goals from their 27, those really need to start so much earlier in pre-K so that you're establishing that because those are difficult things to overcome if those aren't already your mindset, right? We've had this exact discussion. I love it because it, it is very nerdy. But you think about that that age 27 goal, successful by their own definition. And you just brought up the point. You need to be thinking about it when you're, you're three and four years old. And that's absolutely correct. How do you capture that? So a student has a record of their own thought process, of their own development from age four to age 27. Well, do you interview the kid um, and, and ask that question? What does success mean to you? Do you ask that question when they're age four, age five, age six, age seven, and do you put it on the report card? And is that a part of your report card? These are the kind of things that you think about. It's like, no, there's no A's, B's, and C's on that. <laughs> I mean, maybe a, maybe a kid could self-assess and say, at age four, my my goal was to have these toys and um, yeah, I got them. So I got an A. It's a whole different way of thinking about assessment as well when those are your, your outcomes. So it's fun to think about. It's also the practicality of it when you have to, to sit down and say, all right, this can't be nebulous because at some point we have to commit to an idea and we have to build a system around it that makes sense, that makes sense to kids, that makes sense to parents, that makes sense to teachers, and is a logical way to track something as nebulous as successful by your own definition. It's a mind puzzle. 
Yeah, it, it absolutely is. In the last episode of this podcast, I was talking with Mike Anderson about motivation. And we talked about extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. And we spent a long time talking about that on the last episode. And, you know, when you think about that, the, it brings up the question of should you even have report cards or should you call them something else? And will you have grades? And are grades actually going to be meaningful in a system that is, you know, establishing what their life should look like when they're 27 in these very abstract, different ways than what we are used to. And I think that that conversation of motivation is really applicable to this as well. I'll have to check that out because you're absolutely right. If your age 27 goal is to be financially independent, well, there's certain things that you have to understand at age four, you you know, have to count currency. You have to understand the idea that things and services are worth uh, a monetary value. And that's, that's, you know, in 14 years of, of, of education, I've never seen that on a report card. The closest thing you get is one or two lessons on a math and maybe you get a grade on that. When you start talking about putting stuff like that on a quote unquote report card, it's, it's hard to even call it a report card. Um, just using that word because people will understand it. But what is what does that look like? I think competency base has to be the answer. It's got to be. But even what are those those competencies? You're looking in non-traditional places. So for example, we've looked at the organization called Jumpstart. That's done some really great work around um, specifically the financial and career objectives where they have mapped out specific standards that you could you could say they're competencies and, and they could be on a, a report card and they 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 say very specifically what what a four-year-old and a five-year-old should be able to understand in terms of finance and what what they should be able to understand about career. Now there's other things that that you need to to do beyond you know just the jumpstart financial standards, but it just goes to show some of the some people in our field have have thought about these these non traditional competencies of of learning and life outcomes, and and a lot of people think they matter. So we're just you know I like to think of it like we're one of the first, if not the first, school to to actually design the whole curriculum around them. Yeah. And then you run into the issue of, well, if we add in all these competency-based standards and then we're just putting kids in front of those standards and trying to get them to those standards, we're basically just recreating that factory model. And so being able to find the balance between those two and what is going to work and how it's going to work and what it'll look like, I think is just such a fascinating process to go through that, to be honest, nobody's found the right answer yet. And I think some people have made some great strides, but I, I don't think the right answer is is quite out there just yet. I, I hope that people listening to this, like I hope some some school leaders that have thought about this would reach out to me. I signed on thinking, all right, this year I'm going to spend uh, traveling and talking to other school leaders and visiting schools. And of course, COVID has challenged that, but we're trying to to get in, in touch with other school leaders that have um, have gone this route and are, are a little further along in, in thinking in, in some of the domains that that we're teaching. I, I know it, there may not be a school out there that that has the same 
outcomes of the age 27 learning goals that we do, but that's, that's very much something we're interested in talking to other school leaders. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody to, who is listening to, to reach out to AJ or to reach out to me and I'll connect you um, because the, this is really how we get better. And, and I got to tell you just to toot my own horn a little bit here, but I've been doing this podcast for seven years now and I've been on the same path that, that you've been on. And so there's a wealth of information in, in the episodes of this podcast, because these are the kinds of questions that I've been asking uh, for just about the whole time. So mm-hmm. I hope that somehow that that can help you and help you see some connect with some people who are who are doing some of those things. And, you know, that's those are the stories that I like to highlight on this podcast, which is why I was so excited uh, to talk with you, AJ, because you're doing that in a brand new environment. And I think that's a really exciting place to be. The final question I have is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? I'm going to give a a meat and potatoes answer, but something I feel is so, so important to be transformative. This is something I started in my my previous role with, with Chicago Public Schools, and I've used it now in in great, great depth, and it's served me so well, is to start with strategic planning. I give Chicago Public Schools tons of credit because every two years you have to design these strategic plans. And my staff and I did did a great job these last two rounds of it where we really stepped back and we thought strategically, what should we do for the school to push it to the next level? We've gone through that same process here, but what it allows you to do is once you've done strategic planning, don't get into super technical, don't get into specifics of what you're going to do. Once you've done strategic planning, you can really start to map out your month, your week, and then even down to the day where you can plan in and write very actionable things that you can accomplish that will lead to the strategic plan that has served me so well. And regardless of what environment you're leading, that idea of start with the strategic plan, change it to your or adapt to your monthly plan and make it actionable items for your weekly and daily goals. That's that's going to serve you real well. I can't believe you just said that <laughs> because I, I, I am literally in the process of writing a book right now. And just today I had that exact same thought. I, I yeah. wrote down on my, on my little uh, brainstorming sheet, but if you're, vision does not inspire your daily actions, your vision is not sufficient. So if if you can't bring it down to that micro one thing level, then there's no hope for that vision to ever come to pass because you you have to be able to bring it down to that to that small level. And I get a lot of that from uh, from the book The One Thing by yeah. Jay Popson and Gary Keller. Our jobs as as principals and school leaders, you have impulse, impulse, impulse all day with teachers, students, parents, community members, you have all these impulses. And if you don't do that strategic planning and then actually map it down to what I'm going to do today to have you know an action that leads to that strategic planning outcome, you just find yourself responding and reacting to those impulses. And that's a really dangerous place to be. And I made that mistake early on in my career. And, you know, thankfully I've 
learn this lesson. Yeah, me too. I made that mistake also. And um, I had a, a supervisor one time who would always say our time is not our own. And uh, it just grated yes. on me. And I, and I hated it when she said that and I couldn't place it until several years later, I, I figured out how to do that for myself and figured out how to push out the noise and the other impulses, as you called them, to do what really needed, what was really important and what really needed to be done. And I will say um, at the middle school where I was principal last, uh, that I was able to do that. And it was amazing. The things that we were able to do because I could be focused on what I needed to do as the principal was just incredible. So, yeah. so that kind of stuff, that is really, really powerful advice. And I, I so appreciate you sharing that. If people do want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to reach out to you, AJ? The visit our website, www.greaterdaytonschool.org. And my, my email is listed on there, but it's A-S-T-I-C-H at greaterdaytonschool.org. And please um, reach out, call me. I'd um, be glad to, to chat about our school. And especially if there's any teachers out there listening that are, are looking for a revolutionary school opportunity, this is a place to, to check out. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And again, everybody listening, you can get a link to the website and more information about it at jethrojones.com slash podcast slash episode 391. And thanks again, AJ. So great to talk to you. Thanks, Jethro. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principal. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. 
Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.